Hi, welcome to Comics Unscripted, the podcast from Foreign Press Comics. I'm your host, Kyler Maryland. Today we have um, Ben Humanick. He is the writer and artist of the comic Brody Can't Be Broken from Band of Bards. Um, that is in comic shops now, actually. So go ask your LCS for it. It came out this past Wednesday. Um, ben, how you doing? I'm doing all right tonight, Kyler. How are you? A uh, little bit of all right. Um, I assume you probably had a day about as stressful as I did, considering you're also you're also a teacher. I mean, so how's how's that going for you? <laughs> Just got back from break, I assume. Oh man, yeah. And there's yeah. this magic window that we've got, right, where you can kind of reinstitute uh, the the laws of the land, you know, for yeah. a few days, uh, and then you start to drift towards chaos again, which is fine. But uh, it was a good one. We, um, my wife and I, got to attend uh, a student basketball game for some freshmen. Our three kids were with us, and then we came back and gave everyone baths, and we're watching Doctor Who, and it's a, it's a perfectly nerdy evening uh, in this teacher household. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, yeah. That's you mentioned that um, uh, you just went to a basketball game and that just it made me think of one thing that I, I wanted to bring up. I just wanted to bring it up at some point because I think it's cool. Yeah. Um, the I just remember the video of you rapping at oh your gosh. at that pep rally because I mean that's the first thing I thought of when you said that and I was oh like I got to bring this up just to give him give him a hard time. You but, um, should absolutely. Oh my gosh, I I have said yes to that kind of thing on a couple of occasions mm-hmm. and it's always for the sake of public humiliation so kids yeah. can enjoy it and they definitely. In, enjoy that factor <laughs> yeah i like i see that and i'm just like i couldn't i couldn't do that like that's it oh geez cats climbing me um yeah i just i could not ever even just knowing it's for that like my dad's the same way all the, the teachers wanted to at his school wanted to do something mm-hmm. similar and they he just was like I, I can't i can't do it i just can't sorry my cat is literally attacking the cords to no it's all right my my dog can't decide if he wants to be inside of the room or out. So we'll just I feel. we'll just navigate being pet parents. Uh, yeah. you know, as That's we talk hopefully about Hopefully he'll decide to go jump in this little drawer. He likes to sit in my drawers. So hopefully he'll decide that and just stay there for a while. Um, <laughs> my biggest fear is that I'll shut him in a drawer one day, but um, mm-hmm. he, it hasn't happened yet. I have shut him in a closet <laughs> once, but you know, that's he's fine. Um, anyway, it wasn't it was like less than 5 minutes. It wasn't that bad. Um, yeah. I've shut my other okay. cat in there for longer, I think. Um, anyway, <laughs> when she was little, yeah, she's just uh, anyway. Um, so like I said, we're talking about, um, Brody here. That's kind of the main, main deal. Um, I feel like you've probably, I have the solicit here, but why don't you go ahead and give us kind of the super basic version of what this book is. Dude, absolutely. Um, Brody is essentially about two young adults, um, who have been trained to save lives in the face of mass crises. They live about a hundred years down the road from us, uh, where humanity is starting to get its acts together and um, get over kind of a tumultuous century of climate challenges and famine and disasters. And um, one day they are tasked with defending essentially the capital of the uniting humanity um, against the demigod who wants to bring us back down into the dark ages. Um, so they're out of their element. Uh, they've got to engage in essentially a tribute to a giant shonen fight comic. Um, and over the course of the story, uh, they're going to learn a lot about the nature of sacrifice uh, invulnerability and uh, what happens when we op- open ourselves up to each other uh, instead of trying to hide behind our own defenses. I would say that's pretty good. That's, I mean, that's, I think that personally, I think that is a better job than the solicit does. Um, yes. But I understand that the solicit, you know, it has to like kind of market it to a, you know, it's kind of trying to be more um, engaging, you know, mm-hmm. it, whereas, you know, your description is always not going to be that exactly, but I mm-hmm. love your description. And I just ah. thought of another connection um your it sounds like the version of society that you have in in brody is like it sounds like the beta version of the federation from star Bro. trek and i just i i know you i've listened to other interviews and i know you're a star trek guy mm-hmm. so i feel like that's a was that like at, was that at all in your mind or like i just noticed that and i just wanted to point that out i don't know if that's anything. no that is a great call um if i were going to describe the influences of this book uh it would be evangelion times star trek which are two very totally different um, stories. But yes, yeah. And I think, I mean, Gene Roddenberry projecting this vision of a humanity that gets its acts together, that's, that's an aspirational vision. It's not necessarily um, a given, right? Um, yeah. But having that there gives us something that we culturally can work towards. And mm-hmm. so, I don't know, I, there are a lot of dark dystopias in fiction. Um, it felt interesting to play with a more hopeful world that's under threat, um, especially one where kind of older fear-based mentalities are threatening what can happen if we really intentionally um, 
I don't know, try to let down our guard and work together on, mm-hmm. a, on a large scale as well as a personal scale. But yeah, yeah, the Federation, you know, if, if we got to the point where there are enterprises, you know, 100 years after the world of the story, that would be beautiful. I would love that. Yeah. Um, and like, I just think it's, I kind of wrote a similar thing in, um, I was just, it was one of my random thoughts that I was journaling one day. Is it's that it's that and like, it has the same vibe as like Superman. And that like, we kind of like Superman because he's this like paragon, this like ideal version. Yeah. Like that's the reason we like Star Trek. And like, I think that's the reason that like a lot of your book works in that, in that way is that like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's like, this is what we could be. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's a really good thing to aspire to. So I, I, I applaud you for that. No, I Sorry. appreciate it. Yeah. And we want to take pains to show that like, we're not there yet. Like exactly. in the time of the story, there are still, um, you know, riots and militias and, and mm-hmm. things that, you know, create a challenge because bringing together multiple cultures uh, to agree on a lot of the same priorities, that that is not something that would happen in a quick fashion. But again, hopefully worth going toward. But yeah, yeah, it's um, we'll see if we can end up more on the like hopeful side than in the, you know, dingy get in the robot, uh, shinji mm-hmm. get in the robot side. Sorry. Now I'm interpolating Chainsaw Man, Kyler. I just need to get all the media out of my head. Yeah, you're good. You're good. That Chainsaw Man is one I have not dove into yet, mm-hmm. but it is one that I, I want to. I don't know if your kids are just I like mine, your students, but um, I'm they're minor. My students are very much into anime, mm-hmm. like yep. pretty much universally and specifically Demon Slayer. A lot of them. Oh, yeah. Have yeah. you start, have you? I can't get into it. I tried it. I couldn't do it. I, I don't know if I, you've been able to. No, I got um, about 20 chapters into the manga on the, mm-hmm. you know, because Viz has that wonderful app where you can yep. pay two bucks a month or whatnot. Um, and really, I, I think I found it a little bit outside of my wheelhouse, too. Um, yeah. But I, I know that there are students who love that and the anime adaptation. I think what I'm seeing too with some of the high school kids uh, is that they're gravitating towards more of the scene and stuff like Chainsaw Man or um, Berserk. I've got a lot of them who are into that mm. one. Or yeah, I, Saga. I think Berserk is a little bit like because I teach fifth grade, and so I think like that's kind <laughs> yeah. of. Just, I think that's just the demographic. Like Demon Slayer. Oh, sure. The reason I didn't like Demon Slayer is it's very like stereotypical manga, mm-hmm. and the, you know it's the the main characters like. I'm going to, I have to do this for my, it's very expositional and like, yes. you know, just kind of like basic in a way. And mm-hmm. like, I feel like I haven't read Berserk, but from what I've heard, it's like more mature. And so yeah, I think that's just yeah. the demographics of, of who we teach right there. Mm-hmm. Just kind of speaking for itself. I could totally see that. And I think I've got some students who like have cut their teeth on Demon Slayer and enjoyed mm-hmm. that and have that affinity for it. Probably yeah. in the same way that like Naruto was so formational yeah. for like, you know, kids five to seven years ago. Yeah. So yeah, well, it still, still is now. There's, there's Naruto still, still the gym. Oh, um, yeah. But so, I, I there's like two kind of sides to everything that like I want to talk about. It's how most of my interviews go. I, I want to talk about you, but I also want to talk about the book. And so, yeah. um, along the teaching side of things, um, I wrote in my notes, "How the f do you organize? Do you schedule everything?" That's <laughs> what I wrote. I don't like. I just don't. How do you organize what you do? Because you are a writer. You have a ton of the other day you tweeted um like all your projects for 2023 that are coming out and it was like two screenshots worth of stuff <laughs> and that that was plus you're also i assume have other things that are further down the line that you have on the pipeline and then you're teaching a you know multiple high school classes on top of that mm-hmm. and like to add to the high school teaching of it you're teaching multiple classes like i said it's not like Mm -hmm. me i teach science but it's Mm -hmm. the same class four times you know whereas you're teaching different courses i don't remember i know one of them was a creative writing course i believe right yeah yeah but like my point is you have multiple things you have to plan Mm -hmm. plus all this comic stuff like how do you do that Mm because i can't do it (laughs) i it's interesting because i think comics comics really has to fit in the margins right like as you said um you know having those priorities of like relationships for me my spouse and my children are, are like the first earthly commitment. Um, and then teaching absolutely can't slack. Like I can't be working on a, a pitch or a script, like why well, I'm supposed to be teaching my students about Emerson. Yeah. Uh, so I think what we've, what we've had to find in, um, in the daily life that, that I and my family share is just what are the reasonable gaps where stuff can happen. And I think I've found that um, there's a window of time after my kids go to bed uh, when my wife, who's also a teacher, mm-hmm. um, is working on grading or planning that it, it makes sense to do some comics during that time. Likewise, during the weekends, if my kids are having some rest time, uh, that can work. And then on occasion, if I really need to like push toward a project, um, my wife and I will talk it out and, and kind of uh, figure out extra time moments where I can sneak out and get some mm-hmm. work done. But 
you know, I think by and large, we're all trying to figure out our processes because, I mean, you're, you're running a publisher, you know, on top of doing yeah. comics and, and teaching too. And, and so that's, that's a whole nother level too, I know, Kyler. But um, yeah. I think just, just finding those gaps that work for your process is so crucial. And I think it took me a couple of years to find that. Um, mm-hmm. And now, now that it's there, it feels like, okay, we understand the amount of work that can be done within that window. So let's be consistent and diligent, but also not, um, not insane. Cause yeah. Uh, yeah, you can't let the other thing slide whatsoever. I got you. Exactly. And like, mm-hmm. it's, you're just trying to balance both of them. And I, I, mm-hmm. I feel, I feel that, it's, but like, I don't know recently, like what, what's like, so, I mean, how many hours do you think you're doing? Obviously everybody's different and not everybody can do the exact same amount of work and different people have different schedules and things, but like yeah. about how many hours per week do you, do, would you say you spend on like comic stuff? Ooh, that's a good question. I think that ranges. Um, it probably, or, how, anywhere... or if you want to think of it this way, sorry to interrupt you yeah. no, in terms before... of pages, because, um, there's a, a, something went around on Twitter again, recently, mm-hmm. I get all my information from Twitter. Let's be honest. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like Dan Mora, Dan Mora does like two to three pages a day. And so like, I now, now I'm kind of thinking in terms of, and that blows my, I don't get that, especially doing the quality that he does, but oh, my gosh. like how, like how many pages or how many hours, however you want to phrase it, do you work in a week? Do you think? Mm, I, that's a good question. I think if I had like a consistent baseline, we'd be looking at between eight to 20 hours a week, uh, especially depending on how close the deadline is. Um, and I think that would amount to, oh, I mean, I, th- I think on a good week I could do, you know, three to four penciled pages um, or three to four inked pages or four to six colored pages, uh, just depending on which part of the process I'm in. Uh, but usually I, I don't do all the stages at once. Like I'll, I'll make those passes, right? We're penciling first, then we're inking next, and then we're, uh, we're doing the colors after that. So it, it definitely feels like loops back around. Yeah. Um, and would you say that's, how does that map to the processes that, that you've seen with people you've worked with? Is that uh, I mean, similar? I don't really, I mean, as far as people I've worked with, I'm usually, it's different because I'm not, you know, I'm, I try to be when I do all that stuff, whether I'm as just the writer on something or mm-hmm. as the publisher or the editor or whatever it is, mm-hmm. like it's, I try to be a lot more lenient on that. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. just because I, and I try to, part of that is trying to be ahead of the game, like really far ahead of time and just be like, Hey, whenever you like on the last, like on Fletcher cross, we built in like an extra month into our mm-hmm. schedule. We were like, we're telling people that deadline is whatever it was, December 1st, but really our deadline is January 1st. And yeah. like, you know, so that was me and Derek talking to each other and we we're, just, but we kind of knew like, but I don't know, like for me, it's just, and this is kind of what is hard for me is hard not to compare myself to people because mm-hmm. like for me, I've done, I've penciled, I've I, I like, I've like half penciled like five pages this week so far. But like by that, I just mean like kind of just sketched out like it's I, like basically thumbnailed, but on the full size paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I fully penciled one page. And mm-hmm. that's since that's, you know, let's just say this week since. No, well, I started on I started Monday. So in the past, we've recorded this on a Wednesday. So in three days, I've, you know, penciled one page and, you know, fully drawn or thumbnailed about three or four more. That is so, solid. Yeah. I, yeah. And now that I think about it, it is pretty solid. But just like and I think that's another thing like. I assume you also feel like that sense of imposter syndrome. Oh <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I, I was talking to a group of students today in a journalism class. I don't teach journalism, but I, I got to kind of step in and kind of session with them for a little yeah. bit. Um, it's almost like, I think a lot of people get into comics because we were interested in the community around comics mm-hmm. and storytelling. And we want that sense of belonging, not just in a sense of like people read this stuff, but also we, we interact with other people who make it. And I think the imposter syndrome can get really real if we lack that, you yeah. know? It's like, do I belong here? Do I do I belong here making things yeah. in the same kind of sphere as, you know, Dan Mora who does two to three pages a day and they yeah. all look immaculate? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and of course, there's a lot of miles in the road between, you know, myself and, and what Mora does. But um, mm-hmm. yeah, no, I think, I, I think imposter syndrome is a great way to put that, especially when, you know, so many of your your peers are kind of, running the same route and you're like, okay, like, am I in mm-hmm. the same zone? Do I belong yeah. here? Et cetera, et cetera. And I've like, I've, I've heard, I've heard of people doing this in other fields and other, in other creative fields, mm-hmm. but like, um, they, um, it was a, a magician. I used to follow, I used to be in a magic in high school. Oh, and yeah. so, um, his name is Brian Brushwood. I don't know if you know who that is, That's but um, awesome. he used to run a show called scam school on YouTube. Anyway, he mm-hmm. like, I, if I remember right, he, his wife basically was like, okay, he made this kind of deal with his wife that like, like she was supportive of him, but it was like, here, you have a year to quit your day job as a programmer or whatever he was 
and do magic full time. And if you can with if you can withstand that, then let's we'll keep going. And like I'm just I'm always interested in like wondering if I could do that. You know how that would go for me? Like if I could handle that or how how well I would do under those circumstances because my brain not just am I like time occupied by just the amount of time I have but just like my brain power you know like today mm-hmm. like I just like it was just when I got off work like I was like I'm done for like yeah. a solid hour I was like I can't do anything I didn't go to the gym <laughs> I didn't go to I didn't work on comics I just sat on my couch and didn't mm-hmm. watch TikTok honestly and so <laughs> like it's just there's so many factors I'm just I'm interested mm-hmm. in seeing what I'm capable of you know and I think that kind of goes along with what you said, like, you know, just we find ourselves comparing ourselves, but like everybody's working on different things at different yes. levels and at different times in their lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think one thing that's been helpful for me is to understand there's not a statute of limitations on making comics. Yeah. Um, like, you know, um, where I'm at in, in Texas, um, our teaching pension system doesn't kick in until you're in your 60s. Um, we actually have to mm-hmm. opt out of Social Security and opt into a separate system. And so okay. there's a strong incentive to stay in the teaching profession. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so for myself, it's it's not realistic to imagine yeah. doing something else as a primary job uh, until after I'm retirement age. So my kind of deal with myself is, you know what, I'm going to make work as I can in a sustainable way, in a way that honors mm-hmm. my family's time and my community commitments. Um, but when I'm 62, hopefully A, I'll have a body of work that can speak to what I've done. Uh, and then B, I can really lean into doing this as a full-time occupation, despite the fact that it'll be my, you know, my silver haired years. <laughs> yeah. And again, not the same for everybody, but I'd like to think that as long as we're making work and we're being amenable members of the community who interact well with people and tell stories that have a compassionate heart, that there'll be a chance to keep making work and keep developing that for decades and that it's a long race. It, it doesn't have to be an immediate dash to success. I totally feel that. I think that's really good. Like just general advice for not just for anyone in comics, but just for anybody in general, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I, another question about the, um, the, your kind of your, your process is that you've, you've, you've drawn for other people, you've mm-hmm. drawn your own work, but what is like, I guess, are there advantages or disadvantages to doing just art or doing the whole job besides the obvious and the fact that it takes time or like, what are some, like, what have you noticed as someone who does everything on Brody? You can't, for example, you did, you did everything. You did the whole shebang from start to finish. (laughs) Right. And so like, what, what have you noticed from like doing just one versus doing the whole thing? Like, how Mm -hmm. is that? What's the difference there? The similarities or I don't know. Mm. Yeah. I think what's the best way to phrase this? I learn so much when I collaborate with somebody else. And, and at this stage, I've only ever drawn uh, for friends. I don't. I, I can't speak to any stories that I've written that someone else has just drawn. I've never, never been on that side of the equation. Mm-hmm. But when I work with a, a different author, so I think about like the one pager you and I got to do for Fletcher Cross uh, and the way the story was structured and um, the imagery that that called up, right? It was a steampunk mm-hmm. Zeppelin story with kind of an air pirate that Fletcher had to get away from real quick. Yeah. Uh, that was a totally different zone than, than a story that I've told before. And so it put me in a place to research and investigate kind of different genres than I would have naturally gone mm. after uh, and to find a way into that. And I think I said in the liner notes of the book that it was my favorite thing I'd drawn that year because <laughs> mm. <laughs> it was such a fun air pirate story. Uh, and so getting to collaborate with you, for instance, or with someone like um, Travis B. Hill, who um, we're working mm, on yeah. a one shot together later yeah. this year. Um, just that seeing somewhere. that writing process and those inclinations that's so helpful. I feel like that helps me grow as a creator. That helps me understand different aspects of the craft that I couldn't have gotten to by just trying to write my own stuff. Um, and it's also Kyler kind of less frustrating, uh, because when I'm drawing my own script, all I can see are the imperfections in the script. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. who the, who the heck wrote this nonsense? (laughs) Whereas if I work with someone else, um, I typically have a pretty strong trust in the work they've already done. I don't have to question Mm -hmm. where the story is going. I just have to show up and do uh, do the art part of the job and so there's a little more security in that honestly which is kind of fun i think that's really interesting because i kind of tend to do the opposite as someone who mm-hmm. like primarily writes when i find myself when i letter something mm-hmm. for somebody else i like i notice a lot more things i'm like i don't know about that like i would have mm-hmm. phrased that differently i would have done that differently mm-hmm. and i don't mean that i'm i don't mean that in a way that i'm i think i'm better than anyone i just think i would have done things differently and so yeah. i just think it's funny that you're like oh wow look how great this is and i'm over here like i don't know i would have done that differently i would fix that i would change that <laughs> And you're just like, go for it. You're just all hunky-dory, happy to go with it. I think that's really cool. 
Yeah, well, and I think it's a unique thing for you to be both a writer and a letterer because lettering is such such an invisible part of the art of comics. Mm -hmm. um, and you get a feel, I think, if you're a writer and letterer for the rhythm of dialogue and captions and narrative progression mm -hmm. on a page. Yeah. So if you're seeing someone do it in kind of a clunky-footed way, like that would not help but stand out. I, I can absolutely understand that vantage point as well. That makes a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, lettering honestly has improved my art a lot because like mm -hmm. now I know to like leave space for a balloon. You know, whereas mm -hmm. before I might have just like I didn't really think about that, but now I'm like, oh, like I gotta like I gotta leave my space. Like with those pages I was penciling, I was like, okay, I know here's where my boxes are gonna go. Here's where all these things are gonna go. Like mm -hmm. I, I can see all that in my head, and I think that's really that's been beneficial, the most beneficial part to me. Um, oh, yeah. I assume that your your work with Travis Hill, I think, is is this right? Yes, the yes, you got the original version. Yes, I, I met him at um, I met Travis at um, New World Comic Con here in Oklahoma City. But yeah, so um, and then I saw that on Twitter. I was like, I have that. Yeah, I have. I own that. Um, but yes. yeah, so the it's Alaska. But I don't know if that's announced yet. He put it on Twitter. It's fine. Um, it is, yeah. So we're doing an expanded version of that mini comic. Okay. We originally just had it at our con table, selling it, uh, and then uh, sending it into Band of Bards. Initially, we were targeting it for their um, their horror anthology from the Static. Oh, okay. And um, they had a really cool you move where, as they took in submissions, uh, they offered some people a chance to do a one shot instead of being the anthology because the th the thinking was this story could breathe a little bit more with more space. Mm -hmm. And so Travis and I are getting that chance. So that'll be the next, I think, really meaty project that I'll work on after Brody's release, uh, you know, with some yeah. anthology stories in there as well. That's interesting. I never would have, I didn't, I didn't really think of that as a horror story. It's mm -hmm. good. I just didn't, that, that wasn't what came to mind when I read it. I was like, this is, this is a horror story, but I guess no, now that I think yeah. about it, it's kind of, it kind of is like it, it fits, but it's just, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's it's an interesting way to look at it. Look back. It's, at it. it's got, it's got religious cannibals in it. So we mm -hmm. thought that would be at least enough of a, a spooky thing but yeah. you're right. it really is a, i mean at the end it's a story about a man in a dystopian world traveling home to say his goodbyes to yeah. his past and, and then we find out you know kind of the nature of a relationship that has affected him too so absolutely some angles on that and i think mm -hmm. bards was probably wise enough to say yeah this isn't like 100 percent horror yeah um, you know i i think their their perspective on that was probably accurate in the mm -hmm. end <laughs> for sure um so along the lines of like kind of looking at the things that you've you've written and and worked on, um, you seem to have a lot of um, YA content. Like you have mm -hmm. Waking Life or Way I Middle YA YA mm -hmm. slash Middle Grade content. Mm -hmm. Like um, Waking Life, Magnificent Makers. Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if you have any other. I can't Brody. I guess mm -hmm. maybe. Um, yeah, Brody's going to trend toward the YA side. Probably, yeah. yeah. It's there, as I, say, there, I think there might have been a little bit of language, maybe, but yes, not. yeah, we're talking like it's like a PG thirteen book. Yeah, 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 that's kind of what I thought. Mm -hmm. But you have a lot of content that's like YA middle grade. Is that is that by choice, or is that just kind of mm -hmm. what's fallen into your lap, or are you purposely aiming to make things like? Are you just looking for that genre, or are you making things like with your students in mind, or with your kids yeah. in mind? How are you making that? Oh no, I think you nailed it. Absolutely. I mean us both being teachers, right? I think um, we see what our kids are reading and what they're excited about and what they're interactive with. Um, I think it is absolutely true that in the North American book market, graphic novels are a growing segment and they're growing most quickly, most rapidly with uh, middle grade and teen readers. And at, at some point, I think that's going to trickle into adult readership as well. Um, you know, your kids who are cutting their teeth on manga now and they're interested in comics in their 20s and 30s are going to be wanting to read things more mature than, you know, as we've talked about, Demon Slayer or Chainsaw Man, for instance. Um, so I think I, I do want to make books that speak to the group of people that I regularly work with, which are teenagers. Um, and I think I'm realizing, too, there was a real sense of belonging that I wanted when I was a teen mm -hmm. um, in my high school, in my environment. And I, I don't think I fully found that until college. Uh, so this is a really new epiphany for me, Kyler. But I think in some ways when I'm writing these stories, they're often about people who are either guarded or misunderstood or a little bit on the outside. And they're slowly working their way towards acceptance and community. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, in some ways, it almost feels like I'm writing these kinds of stories, not just for teen readers, but also for like the teen version of me who mm. did not find that the way that he wanted to find that. Um, and so I don't know, it seems like a really satisfying vein to continue to work within and to, and to negotiate. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't ever count out writing stories for adults. I think my anthology work has trended that direction, mm -hmm, yeah. but that's in smaller bits. Um, and it's cool to be able to have the mix, but I, but I will tell you, you know, I admire someone like, a like a Neil Gaiman, uh, for instance, or a Judd Winnick, who's able to pivot and do stories for different age brackets uh, mm -hmm. and not really be restrained to being like a children's author or an adult author or a mature author. 
Um, I think, again, miles to go if, down the road if that's even possible, but mm-hmm. I would love to have that kind of range. Um, yeah. I mean, for yourself, how, how do you approach that question of audience? Because, uh, you know, Fletcher Cross was a very all-ages friendly book, though mm-hmm. it definitely tipped its hat towards things like noir murder mystery, right? With yeah. like kind of femme fatales and so forth. Um, but, you know, also in, in the Punching Nazis page, which is so yeah. great, you censor the, the, you know, the swear towards the Nazis. But mm. Well, um, that was... Yeah. Um, that, that was, it wasn't the intent originally, mm-hmm. but like after in the first campaign, we had someone who I used to go to church with comment on Facebook. Um, like, Hey, is this for, is this for kids? Is this appropriate for kids? Mm-hmm. And I was like, um, it just has a couple words, a couple, you know, words here and there, but for the most part, it's okay. And then that was when the first Kickstarter campaign. And then with the second one, we, I sent out a, it, we, me and Derek went through every page and we were like, Hey, we want to, we're going to make sure this whole thing is kid friendly. We're going to bleep mm-hmm. out everything. We don't care if you put a black bar over it. I don't mm-hmm. care if you just turn it into, um, can't remember what they call it, but into, mm-hmm. they call it, it's not winding, but it's the symbols. Um, mm-hmm. that's going to bother me. I'll figure it out later. Um, oh, no, I know what you're talking about. Like when Sarge cusses in. Yeah. But yeah. There's a, there's a word for it mm-hmm. for, it's a lettering term for like what you, what you call those. Um, anyway. Um, so we were just like turning into that because, I wanted it to be able to reach the, that audience. And, um, yeah. and so I, I haven't gotten to the point of putting one on my, on my classroom shelf yet. I know mm-hmm. I had a student say, Oh, we want, I want to read something that you did. Cause she wants to make comics as well or make oh, manga. Dude. And so I, I want to, but I'm just really scared. And I'm just really, I don't know. I'm just fifth graders are brutal. Um, oh I feel like gosh. it's different with high schoolers, but fifth graders are just, they're just, they can be brutal. They're going to get real with you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And I just, I want to make more YA content, but I just, mm-hmm. it's hard to, it's hard for me to f- make myself think in those terms. I have a couple, I have three, I think stories, but they're more long form stories mm-hmm. that I want to get going, get back on. One of them was a, a Kickstarter that I tried a long time ago that mm-hmm. was very obviously going to fail. I was trying for $12,000 for mm-hmm. out of no, out of the, out of the gate. But, um, and there's a couple other ones, but um, like I have one that I actually thought about messaging you about, but mm-hmm. it was something about um, like, the like it's kind of like two dystopian realities and Mm -hmm. one is very scientific minded and the other one's very artistic minded and it's kind of like the benefits of like about it's kind of the goal is to be about like the benefits or the negatives of being so focused on one thing kind of about how to fuse the two and like Mm. the importance of that in education was kind of my goal when i originally wrote that down but um i haven't really i don't really know where else to go with that one i kind of just i kind of ran into a not even writer's block, just I just didn't know where else to take the story. Mm-hmm. But um, anyway, I don't know if that really answers your question, which you're, I love the fact that you're asking me questions. I appreciate that a lot. Um, <laughs> but I, I talk too much anyway, and this is, this is supposed to be about you. Um, <laughs> but I do like the fact that we're having a conversation. But um, For sure. Uh, let's see. So uh, real quick, actually, we'll, mm-hmm. we'll take a quick break for an ad, and then um, we will be right back. Yeah. And we're back. Um, so I do have a couple more questions about, um, your just teaching stuff. And then I want to, um, bring it into a little bit of, of, of Brody, Mm -hmm. but, um, so in your classroom, I know, I don't know, like I said, I don't know exactly what all classes you're teaching. I know one Mm -hmm. of them is a creative writing class. And the main reason I know that is because I remember that you at one point were like, you tweeted something about it. And that's, like I said, that's how I know everything about anybody. If I know anything about anybody, it's because of Twitter. Uh Um, and so like I know you were asking for like recommendations and so like how, mm. how do you use, um, how do you use comics in your class? This might, this probably is for like the teachers in the audience. So like two yeah. of us, but yeah. just how do you use comics in, in any class? Actually, yeah. how do you personally use them? Uh, you know, so I, with creative writing, I also teach an English three course for juniors and that's an American, um, literature survey for us. Um, but one thing I've been able to do in my classes and my school is very supportive of this uh, is to build an independent reading time at the beginning of the period. Uh, so essentially my students come in and they know they've got 10 minutes where they need to read something of interest. Uh, and we go through a goal setting session every nine weeks where they're going to articulate what they want to get out of their reading, whether it's increasing their reading speed or whether it's obtaining greater variety of vocabulary, especially as they're getting ready for the ACT and the SAT. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of them are just involved in like three extracurriculars and have a job and they need a freaking break. So, um, at the end of the day, they all come in and they're reading stuff and I've got to have some material. So I've got shelves of young adult fiction and dystopian fiction, um, memoir, some that I've purchased, some that our district purchased. Um, but one of the things I keep around 
is a shelf of graphic novels mm -hmm. uh, and manga and superhero comics. And I had a friend who donated a big portion of his Fantastic Four and EC Comics collection to the room that we put on a spinner rack. So kids can nice. legitimately come just pull like a John Byrne issue of Fantastic Four or like part of the Jim Lee uh, run back from the early 90s yeah. you know, or whatever, uh, or late 90s and whatnot. Um, but for right now, I guess the, the short answer is for my my mainstream English students, it's optional reading that's available for mm -hmm. them. And I think its presence in the room kind of speaks to the fact that this carries weight just like everything else that you would do. Um, back when I taught ESL, um, we had a great book study over American-born Chinese um, because mm -hmm. that's really accessible visually yep. uh, for English language learners. And it's a great story about what do you do when you come to a new culture? How much do you assimilate versus how much do you keep from your native culture and celebrate? And so mm -hmm. I thought that was a wonderful jumping off point for discussion. Um, and then for creative writing, honestly, the comics I've used most often have been my own um, because as we're going through parts of the writing process, I'm trying to show them, mm -hmm. hey, yeah. here's where I sent a, a draft of a script to an editor and got notes on it. Or, hey guys, Brody's out for reviews, and here's one that I got that called out some things in the book that the reviewer didn't like, and I just want to show you this. And I think by giving them pieces of my process, um, that gives them permission to understand that, A, writing is not a perfect act. <laughs> like, there's a lot of iteration and, and change that goes mm -hmm. into that. Um, and number two, it's okay for it to be a little bit messy, um, as long as you persevere with that. So, um, I don't know, it, different frames of it. I will say I'm not at the point where... I'm teaching a mainstream class canon works and using a graphic novel as a canon mm -hmm. work. I think it'd be awesome to get there at some point. Um, but for now, having it as something that I can use as an optional book or a book I can point students mm -hmm. to or use with a specialized group or use as part of a process talk, those mm -hmm. things have all been really helpful. Mm -hmm. I imagine it would be very polarizing, but um, mm -hmm. I actually, I got to use this one with my third grade students with Superman Smashes the Clan. Dude, um, awesome. Dude, I, I mean, they did, we just read it for fun. But like, and then I gave him like a, you know, it's, it was third grade. So I just gave him an, like, I, don't, I think I might have made up a little quiz for it on Google or something. Yeah. Afterwards. But I don't, I don't know if that would be interesting. I, I, th I just thought it was really good. And especially oh, being yeah. in, in, in Texas with high school students, that might be polarizing to, to some sadly, but um, oh, I, I just, on the topic of American born Chinese, that just, that's mm -hmm. what really stuck out to me because mm -hmm. I just finished American born Chinese in it. Um, mm -hmm. I don't like the way it ended. Um, it just, Oh, I wish I had a better, like it just, I don't know, like it just very ended very suddenly. And I was mm -hmm. just like, oh, there's I expected more. I don't know. Like not more <laughs> like I expected to be better. I expected more content. Gotcha. Like, it was really good. But like I was like, oh, there's it's it's done now. Mm, okay. Almost like the story stops but doesn't end. So yeah, exactly. That's why I okay. felt like there was a more resolution needed between um I can't remember their names, but um mm -hmm. the main character and his his friend, I feel like there was needed something else. I might be misremembering that. Mm -hmm. But um anyway, I, I think that's really um interesting that you use your side of it obviously i can't do that because i'm not teaching a writing class but mm -hmm. i think that's really cool not only that you're using comics but also that you're able to um project your own like you're able to put your own stuff out there like that's a yes. big thing for me like i said with fletcher cross just like putting mm -hmm. my own work on a shelf in my room like i can mm -hmm. keep my own work on a shelf here i can put my sh work on a shelf in a comic shop mm -hmm. but putting work on a shelf where my students can see it I, mm -hmm. That's a very vulnerable position for me. And yes. I just think that's really admirable that you're able to do that and mm. not just put the finished product in front of them. You're able to put the unfinished product that might not mm. be super great. You're able to put that in front of them and still be confident in your work. And I think that's really, that's a really admirable quality. I think. Mm. I'm encouraged by that. Thanks, man. Well, and I think you and I both know that good teaching requires us to, it, it, lose a little control, right? Yeah. We've got to yeah, turn yeah. some over to the students and that's hard. But it's also funny because, I mean, I think the common thread with American-born Chinese and Superman Smashes the Klan is, is Jun Yang, right? Mm -hmm. Who oh, also yeah. started as an educator. Yeah, there you <laughs> and, go. Um, I, it's cool to think how he's kind of navigate. I mean, talk about an admirable career to emulate. Mm -hmm. That guy, I mean, he faithfully taught computer programming at a Catholic high school for, what, 15 years before just going full-time mm -hmm. with comics yeah. and um, continues to make stuff that just is, is fantastic. Uh, Gosh, I don't know. I, I, if and you're saying you've read American Born Chinese, and um, I know I, I caught a student reading his boxers book the other day because I've got the boxers mm, and yeah. Saints duology in there, and that one just will leave you shaking in your boots, man. You're like, oh my gosh, what happens when religious fundamentalism clashes in, in a mm -hmm. culture, right? It's just Ooh. oh, so good. 
Okay, you just just with the just the that sentence alone, you persuaded me to buy. It's been in my like save for later on Amazon for a long time, but I'm I'm adding that. I'm also I just like I added a bunch of comics in there today, but so I'm gonna add that one there too. Oh, good. Yeah, I think my LCS. You, I think you will appreciate. You know, in terms of endings, I think he really nails it for that one. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, you've got to read across two books to get to the yeah. full ending, but oh yeah, he he gets it. Good. Um, that's. I just, like I said, that's one that's been there for a long time um, mm-hmm. that I've, it's been on my list. Um, and Dragon Hoops is one I haven't heard a lot about, but I, I, I'm interested in it, but I haven't heard as much about it as I've heard about Boxers and Saints and um, all of the other three we mentioned so far. I think that one's medicine for the soul, um, hmm. partially because, right, it's a nonfiction book about his high school yeah. basketball team, but also it's kind of a narrative about him becoming a full-time graphic novelist. Like it's essentially his yeah. last year of teaching and you see like, the phone call he gets when his agent Judy Hansen is like, Hey, DC comics called and they want you to write a Superman arc. This is back when it was, I think the new 52 Superman, not the, yeah. not the specialized books. Yeah. But all, all that to say, like you get to see him making those decisions. So that's, I think as a teacher reading that, I was like, Oh, this is really cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, I know that that's kind of the long lines of where I was thinking. I was like, I, mm-hmm. I know, I feel like this would be really good for me. I just haven't seen as much about it mm-hmm. um, as yeah. I have the other ones. Um, yeah. Is there any lessons that you've um, applied that you find have carried over of cross between the two, between your quote unquote, your teaching identity and your comics identity. Like what, what have you learned? How have they benefited you? Or but then I'm, I think we're all, I've also been forgetting about, you know, you have a whole other third part that I don't even have to factor in is you're a husband and a father. Mm-hmm. And so you have these full three things. Like how is, um, how have these things kind of crossed over and what have they all kind of benefited each other in some way? Mm-hmm. I, I think, that's a good question for right now because it seems like the the common thread between all three things is that they don't succeed without a little vulnerability. Um, mm-hmm. Like there must be skin in the game. Um, my children will not feel loved if they don't see their father giving them attention, looking them in the eyes, admitting when he makes mistakes or just being silly and playing with them. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, my wife will not feel loved if I'm not my authentic self. Um, and one thing that's true for me, Kyler is, you know, I think my family rules growing up were kind of like, if you were upset or mad, like you didn't say it, people just had to figure it out. So I still have a hard mm-hmm. time directly expressing my emotions, um, mm-hmm. but I'm an emotional person, right? So yeah. it's this kind of contrast. So I think for my wife, she feels most connected to me when I directly express my emotions, when I'm vulnerable with that, that's powerful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think the same thing is true for my students. Like they want to know that Mr. Humanek drives a minivan and watches Star Trek and is really cringe when he uses youth slang like Riz. Mm-hmm. Um, like they want that because then I become a real person and they don't have to have their guards up. Like they can relax and learn from me a little bit if I've got a little bit of skin in the game first. And, and then again, I think with comics, like if I'm not willing to put myself in the narrative, then I'm lying. And, um, an audience knows when they're being lied to, mm-hmm. they, they know when they're just getting a constructed plot instead of something that's a little bit more sincere. Um, and I think Brian Bendis has actually been really influential for me in that because you're talking about getting on Twitter, getting information, one thing I keep seeing him talking about or saying is that you've got to speak your truth mm-hmm. um, and put that in there. And that's what makes for compelling work. And And I found that to be true from Bendis' best stuff. And so I think I'm trying to continue to find the courage to do that, put more truth in there from what I've lived um, and, to, and, and to just be authentic about it and, and be willing to take some licks if the craft isn't great or uh, if the story's not as cohesive as I want it mm-hmm. to be, like just to get out there and give it that shot and, and not protect myself too much. I don't know the thing that you you said the couple of things you said that stuck with me mm-hmm. that I want to think is going to lead off but first I want to say that like I never thought about like the fact that like when I use my dumb internet slang is like <laughs> I never thought about that as being vulnerable uh-huh. but, like I guess it is and it's it's showing mm-hmm. not like I I just thought it was like you know just showing like hey look Mr. Merrill's goofy Mr. Merrill kind of knows what's going on but doesn't really right. and that's what's funny but yeah, like yeah. if there's a whole other side of it it's like showing that I am willing to be goofy mm-hmm. and I'm willing to open up to them. Mm. And I feel like I've kind of, I'm one of those people. I feel like I've gone, I went too far. I've gone too far in that direction, you know, and I, mm-hmm. I need to, my thing is I have to rein it back in and like, let them know that I am in charge. And like, I'm still, <laughs> this is still my room, but like, okay. you know, I, 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 I appreciate that. That's given me a new, a new perspective on the mm. whole thing. Mm. But um, you, you said to, it's important to put yourself in your work and you said to speak your truth. And, so I know that um, between you referenced um, you, there's been several things you've referenced that have kind of made me think of um, like 
just the idea of of faith like i know that's important mm-hmm. to you and like 100%. you've referenced um in brody you referenced babel um mm-hmm. and the comic uh you we i don't know we haven't really talked about a lot and i don't want to talk about a lot but mm-hmm. i'm going to mention it here leaven of the pharisees which is in um uh the smash quarterly anthology volume one um yep all those things those have both have those both are very biblical references mm-hmm. and so um like at what role does that play in your work but but also more specifically, what role does that play in Brody? Yeah. My faith is core to my identity. And one thing I want to be careful with when I speak about it, especially with my students, mm-hmm. is to say, this is me and this matters, Yeah. Um, but I'm not imposing this on you, right? As a public educator, everyone needs to be able to be in the same space and, and have that sense of pluralism and different identities. And I love that about a classroom. But yeah, by God, the, um, the message of faith and specifically I think Orthodox Christian faith really drives a lot of my worldview. Um, and I think with Brody, um, we essentially put like two teens learning self-sacrifice, which, you know, in the Christian scriptures is true religion, right? That's what, mm, yeah. uh, you know, what is it? Uh, act justly, walk humbly, um, you know, live mercifully. Um, and that's juxtaposed against really a religious fundamentalist. It's this demigod who's tied to the yeah, Nephilim exactly. who are a, supernatural set of creatures in the Bible. And he's trying to impose a fear-based order back on the society that started to progress. Um, and he doesn't know the value of self-sacrifice. And Brody learns the value of sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And his friend Amander knows the value of sacrifice. She's actually been in a religious cult uh, and gotten out of that um, through her own gumption. And she's willing to lay it all down to save people who are suspicious of her because of that, that association. Um, so I think Growing up in Southern Christianity, there are some really fundamental edges that I've seen that cause damage, that cause harm, that hurt people. Um, but I've also seen the power of faith uh, when it comes to invoking those greater qualities that people are called to in a faith tradition, um, and, and specifically that's embodied in sacrifice. You know, for me, I see mm-hmm. that in the story of Jesus of Nazareth. So to find ways to get that in there, I wouldn't say it's allegory like C.S. Lewis, but mm-hmm. yeah. I, I love how. J.R.R. Tolkien, for instance, was informed by his faith when he wrote Lord of the Rings, though didn't deliberately make it a tract for Catholicism. Yeah. And I think that's that's more of the direction I find appealing when it comes to telling stories, but also bringing faith convictions or just personal worldviews into the into the picture. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that that's, and I mean, there are other ways that kind of is a, I don't know, Jesus Christ-like motif mm-hmm. um, in... You know what? I'm going to say it and then I'll bleep it out because I never bleeped anything out before. Um, in the way that. <laughs> but I don't imagine that was intentional in terms of I'm going to reference, you know, um, this, like I'm referencing Jesus here, but it's mm-hmm. kind of just because that's become part of a, you know, that's kind of just become a, a thing that happens in genre is, you know, mm-hmm. your hero comes like use Gandalf, like things like that. Like, right. and that's, it's kind of just common now. It wasn't done intentionally with that in mind, but it's just another way that that's referenced in, mm-hmm. in the book. Yeah. But, um, I did, I did notice that with, um, the way that the, the demigods, demigods are in, in, in the story that like, yeah. it's kind of a, and it's also just a, like the new, like kind of just the, the difference between the old Testament versus new Testament kind of thing. And that like the old is very, um, uh, you know, very much more authoritarian almost. And mm-hmm. then you had the new, which is very not, and mm-hmm. kind of more along the lines of like what we started talking about originally, the um, Federation type vibes of, um, <laughs> right. you know, it's kind of that whole, we're more peaceful, we're more selfless. And then mm-hmm. you have this old guy who's coming in and is like, no, we, you, you had to listen to this. This is the only way. And this mm-hmm. is the way to do it. And I just think that's really interesting. Yeah. There's a, there's a cosmology behind the story that, you know, if there's a demand for more episodes, right. And there doesn't mm-hmm. have to be Brody's meant to stand on its own. Mm-hmm. Um, but if readers want more of this kind of, of world, um, there's a story to be told about how these are literally the biblical Nephilim. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah. they are trying to get their foothold back. And so it would map very neatly to that over time. Um, now, all that being said, your, your main baddie for this story is much more inspired by like Norse tradition uh, yeah. <laughs> than he is, uh, you know, uh, proto-Indo-European. And there's a reason for that too. Um, but yeah, it's it's fun to put those things in a blender. But suffice to say this, I I think if you're sincere about your faith, especially as a Christian, and you're called to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth, uh, you want to do that in a way that's authentic and that is vulnerable. 
uh, mm-hmm. and that's self-sacrificing. And I think you see uh, in the accounts of the New Testament, some of those powerful moments where people came into an encounter with God and began to own that for themselves didn't come from them being admonished or lectured to or slapped mm-hmm. around. It came from somebody living vulnerably or openly or in obedience. And so if Brody can speak to that in some ways uh, in a firm faith or, or, or just show how winsome faith can be in the right way, I, then I love that. Um, and if it can do that for readers who don't have faith and can still enjoy that uh, and agree with the concepts of just being sacrificial, then I think that's a win too. And so that's mm-hmm. that's the hope that it becomes uh, an inviting table to gather around yeah. uh, and, and not a club where you know some people are invited and some aren't. It- I also just think it's interesting just from, from what I've gathered, I think that it, correct me if I'm wrong, but Travis is also, he seems from what I've heard and seen, he's very much along the similar lines in terms yeah. of his faith. And so I just think it's interesting that you two have worked together now on, you worked together on the short last goodbye and now you're expanding it. And mm-hmm. so I'm just interested to see, you know, what that, if that factors into that at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but and just to compliment you again, I think that you're um, doing a very good job of being representative of that because mm-hmm. I think there's a way that a lot of people could very easily, like people that I know, for instance, that um, you know that I may or may not be related to, that coming <laughs> off saying very similar things, mm-hmm. but it comes off in kind of that way that you're saying, and like you know, it's a clubhouse vibe, you know, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you're very much giving off that it's it's is an open table. And there is, I don't know, you're, you're not being so closed off about it that I think mm-hmm. it's very beneficial. I think it's a really good way to, um, I think you're doing a very good job of being representative of your, of your, your faith. Um, so I just want to comment on that. Um, and I don't really know where to go from there because I feel like it's got <laughs> heavy and now I don't want to, um, uh, change it too much, but I guess we'll, no. we'll, we'll go, we'll, we'll, we'll switch vibes. Um, like, so <laughs> when, um, you're, I just have a couple more questions about Brody. Mm-hmm. Um, so what aspects of, of real life were you drawing upon when you're trying to build out this, this world? And I know we talked about it a little bit, but mm-hmm. when you're talking about not just like the setting of Brody, but just like the whole story and everything, right. what, um, were there, what other like personal things from your real life aspects of your life did you want to draw upon to bring this was, the story? This was kind of an accidental thing. I wanted the story to be set um, in, in a capital like for humanity that was distinctly Mediterranean or near or Middle Eastern. Um, and as I kind of looked at potential options for that, um, I found um, Erbil, which is a city in Iraq um, that belongs to uh, a people group, um, the Kurds, um, which are kind of a minority group that doesn't really have a home nation. They're kind of spread among Turkey mm-hmm. and parts of them are in, I believe, Iran. And then of course in Iraq. Um, and the Kurds are very friendly towards like, the United States, when we did military actions in Iraq, um, you know, we would collaborate with the Kurds because they were very opposed to Saddam Hussein. Um, all this to say, like, um, Erbil is a place that has an old citadel in it um, that's kind of stood the test of time. And it began to make a lot of sense to set the story there uh, in a place where a people did not formerly have a homeland, now being like the capital of where humanity kind of congregates mm. to work on stuff together. Uh, and to kind of just add some sauce to it, my wife worked for a nonprofit. She interned with them uh, one summer back in 2009, and they were based in that area. Um, so that made it a little bit personal. And, and I mm-hmm. think also gave us a chance to jump off into some more representation instead of setting the story in like a Western city, for instance, or a European city or something that um, we've probably seen quite a lot of times uh, in North American comics. Mm-hmm. So that was one thing there. Um, I think the other thing, I like the, the fact that Brody's name is kind of a dumb pun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, at the end, he comes from a program called the Bro Program, and it's an acronym, but it's a it's a dumb acronym. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I wanted there to be like, I'm not a particularly sarcastic person, Kyler, but I love puns because they're the one form of humor where like nobody is mocked, right? You're just yeah. playing with word sounds. And so bringing those things in, I think is kind of just enjoyable for me. Um, I always get a kick out of it when I see someone like Grant Morrison do that. Or um, uh, man, I think about Brandon Graham, who... Um, has turned out to be someone who is not a good faith actor um, to his collaborators. But when I first read King City, man, that thing was filled with puns. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so to see those things done well and amusingly, um, I like. So it was fun to bring that in work a little bit too. Um, so I, I definitely got those vibes of the the um, the the more Mediterranean, Middle Eastern type vibes because mm-hmm. it, that 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 is what it looked like. I it was very it was notable that's the word i'm looking for mm-hmm. that when i read it it's like it didn't feel like every other 
like kind of not dystopian, but utopian, I guess, kind of mm -hmm. society looks very, you know, majestic with super tall skyscrapers and, you know, really like sleek and everything. And this, it feels very of the thing that you were going for, which I guess is, is a testament to you, I guess, because that's mm -hmm. what you were trying to do. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so how, like, in, if at all, how did you alter your, your style, your artwork to fit mm -hmm. Brody or mm -hmm. like, um, or were there any like, things that you want knew you wanted to do differently when making this book yeah no thanks that's a great question um i think i had to simplify my art surprisingly um to get it done on schedule because mm. um i like a lot of hatching and texture in comics mm. uh, like that stuff looks fun uh and i know manga can really thrive with with you know some really good gray toning and hatching um and i found i had to be a little more judicious about that than i initially planned there are some pages mm. of the book that look way crunchy uh and then as i got closer to the delivery date there's some parts that are a little more clean lined. Yeah, I <laughs> and you. I think I'm trying, I'm finding a little bit of a balance. Uh, you know, again, referring back to Dan Mora, he's got such a good handle on where to place his shadows uh, and where to leave rendering well enough alone. And I, I see the wisdom in that balance and I'm just inspired by that. So I think I got a little bit closer to that ideal when drawing the book. Um, I also deliberately wanted to draw it kind of in dimensions like a French uh, album or like a, one of those square bound graphic novels from the 80s. Mm -hmm. Just because I love those, I think those are a great canvas for comics. I know there are harder selling comic shops because that format is hard to bag and board. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I think most people are familiar with it from uh, DC's black label line. Yeah. Uh, but those albums are typically serialized. And so customers kind of see a square bound square sized book and they're like, well, this is like an expensive floppy issue. Like, do I need to go for this? Yeah. So I know that's a harder sell for comic shop owners to take a book like this in an unusual format. But I really think the art breathes on the page as a result. And I hope that those who find the book, really can kind of get that and, and just mm -hmm. soak up the widescreen aspect of that. Yeah. I think it'll be really interesting to see is to see in print because um, mm -hmm. you know, digitally that doesn't always, always carry over. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's yeah. hard to see the, the difference in format. And that's always something I'm interested in as well as like just trying to tell stories in a different format, mm -hmm. even, you know, and some people say that, you know, you need a reason for it. Like you need to have mm -hmm. a reason that you do a story in landscape, but I'm like, why not mm -hmm. just do a story in landscape? Cause I want to do a story <laughs> in landscape. Like mm -hmm. screw it. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, and then um, what as you kind of, if you had to take Brody further, if you had to expand it any further, how, like, do you have any hints or like, what would you do with the future of Brody? You said that it's meant to be a one shot. It's meant to stand alone, but yeah. like, what's the future of Brody look like? Yeah. If we get a little bit more time, we're going to get to know the other members of Brody's team and okay. their handlers like Amander, uh, because they've got different personalities that come from different backgrounds. Um, and their abilities, while unique, also can be tempered by their own flaws. We saw Brody learn some things about his invulnerability in this book that hopefully he can apply in the future. The same would be true for like Bro A, who's the leader of their team and who's incredibly strong, um, but finds that strength isn't always your your primary solution to an issue. Mm. Um, I think also, if if enough time allows, I would love to see a resolution to the arc of the demigod threat. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. One of the things I loved about Evangelion is how you kept having weird angels show up to threaten um, Tokyo 3, right? Until you had to get to this final conflagration. And my gosh, they, they did it three different ways uh, you know, in, by the end. Um, so I, I want to get to that place too, where there's a final confrontation with the Deus, um that is decisive uh, and that reveals some things about the nature of man and divinity, um, but also ends on a satisfying note for Brody and Amander um, as they've kind of gone through a series of trials together. Um, and then, Kyla, I just want to draw more cool action scenes that seem very difficult because um, I would never want to write that for someone else. But if I write it yeah. for me, then I'm obligated to do it. And that makes me there grow. You go. <laughs> there you go. Um, yeah. I, I think that I think it's really cool that you you have like you mentioned, like you have all this, you know, all these details about Bro A that you mm -hmm. haven't even like been mentioned in the story. And mm -hmm. like, I don't know, I just think it's really cool because sometimes I feel crazy when I do that. Like I have like entire mm -hmm. like I was working on a fantasy thing and I wrote like one and a half languages and mm. like not like full like vocabulary but like i wrote down right. the basic like you know um phonemes and stuff like that mm. and so i was like okay i know how this works but like i feel crazy doing that and to know that you have like all your characters d done as well that mm -hmm. haven't even been like they were in like what maybe one and a half scenes in For this sure. book it's yes. like it's really cool to know that you have that level of detail ready mm -hmm. to go and also to know that you have that ready to go f if this does proceed because i think it'd be really mm -hmm. interesting to see how that conflict between the new and the old kind of um, uh, ends, how it ends. And like, I assume you have something in mind for that. Mm -hmm. you, you know how that ends. I assume. I've, I, I, 
I know the final beats of the story. Uh, yes, yeah. the story arc. If we get there, yeah, um, yeah, and there will be a little bit more false start, um, big play sacrifices, etc. But yeah, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, um, I can at least spoil it thematically. Bullies don't win. Um, yeah, um, and and if we're made in the divine image, whether you're a transcendentalist, I've been teaching Emerson and Thoreau recently, mm-hmm. or whether you're more specifically religious, um, I think you see that the divine image is much more about reconciliation mm-hmm. uh, than it is about condemnation. And so uh, I want to get there and I want to get there in a way that feels earned. So fingers crossed. Um, this is a direct appeal, but if you listen to this and you check out this book and you want to know, you want more, let us know, let band of bards know, yeah. um, let your LCS owner know uh, this is a book that, that would be successful in their shop. And I think that gives us more room to play in this world mm-hmm. uh, if folks want it. I think that's the best thing you can say is to someone is just to go one. I mean, I think the easiest thing and the best thing is to go to your LCS and say, Hey, I want this book. Mm -hmm. Um, It's in previews. You can go to previews. Anybody who's listening to this, you can go to either do it online. If they do it online, like my shop does, Mm -hmm. or you can do it through, just tell them, Hey, I want this book. And they, I almost guarantee you, they will find a way to make it work for you. Oh yeah. Um, But, and I do want to reiterate, this is a standalone story. And I think that Mm -hmm. the motifs that you mentioned, not only are they um, kind of the themes of, the whole your idea of the arc but they're also the themes of this story as well in terms of you know bullies don't win and that you know you have to learn to face your own um your own flaws first before you can you know um, stop someone else's so i i even if you you know that's i just want to reiterate this is is a standalone thing but um anyway so my last two questions um uh can you tell me the best life lesson you've ever learned best life lesson i one of the best Ooh, um, <laughs> this one just came to mind. Uh, so I've got to give context for it. Okay. On, on the day of my wedding, my wife and I were speaking to various people at our reception. And one couple uh, that knew her family came up and they told us, uh, always fight naked. And, and I kind of was like, excuse me. Um, and that's really intended to be metaphorical. <laughs> but I think the idea is, and not just with my spouse, but I think, I think in most conflicts in general, um, you don't want to, I don't want to beat this word to death, but vulnerability, man, like being, being able to put down your guard a little bit Mm -hmm. and genuinely try to understand the other party, um, and not defend yourself to the hilt, I think solves way more problems. Um, and so that's something I think I'm always trying to implement. I mean, again, we're teachers, man. Um, we face kids in the classroom who maybe don't feel like doing what we're asking them to do in the moment. Oh yeah. Do we want a power struggle from that or do we lower the guard a little bit and turn down the temperature? And so I think that kind of wisdom is something I'm always trying to live up to. Um, so for whatever it's worth, always fight naked, but um, definitely as a teacher, metaphorically, because otherwise you would deserve to be fired. <laughs> I, I love that. I'm just going to leave it at never fight naked or always fight naked. I'm going to leave always it because that's, yep. that's better. Um, <laughs> no offense, but that, that's better. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and then the last question, I always ask a random question at the end of every interview. Yeah. Um, what's the longest thing you've ever had to memorize? Uh, the book of, uh, first Peter, um, I had to memorize that for a program that I did after college. It was like a gap year thing where I worked at a camp and to complete the program, we had to memorize that thing through. Now, Kyler, if you ask me to recite that off the top of my head, I would fail because it's been a while since I've practiced it. You got to practice it to keep it. Um, but it's amazing how memorizing the words of something that's valuable um, can stick with you and transform your thinking. Mm-hmm. And that's honestly something I need to recommit myself to properly yeah. uh, in 2023. Yeah, that's something I, I, I need to do as well. There's a couple of things mm-hmm. um, lately, like the Tao Te Ching has been a big thing for me. And so I need, mm-hmm. I want to memorize some more stuff out of that. But mm-hmm. um, like we have a guy who goes to church where my grandpa goes to church. He's like, I think he still has, he's like 80 or 90 now. Mm-hmm. Has, or at least at one point had the whole, my whole Bible memorized. Oh my God. Blows my mind. And I've heard wow. of a few people like that, but I, that's church Christ for you. Um, I think the longest <laughs> I ever memorized was um, the I the nightmare before Christmas. The night, not the nightmare. The night before Christmas poem. Oh, Clement Seymour, right? Uh, I I don't remember. I did it for like it was in elementary school. It was like fifth uh-huh. grade. Or yep. um, I think I had the first. No, I think that was longer. I think that was the longest thing. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I can't remember what else I was gonna say. Dude, my parents mm-hmm. read us that poem every year at Christmas yep. if we're Same. at their house. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah. That's I'm, awesome. My, all my siblings are over the age of 18 and my parents just read it for us again. So my dad just read it for us again. <laughs> yes. At one point, like and when I first memorized it, like I was the one, they made me recite it in front of mm-hmm. everybody, all my siblings, which you know, wasn't that bad, but still. <laughs> I think that's the best awesome. I got. Um, anyway, Ben, where can people find you online? 
You know, um, I can be found on Twitter at Ben Humanek, and that is B-E-N-H-U-M-E-N-I-U-K. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at Ben.Humanek because there's a British fellow with my name who has the no dot handle. So Ben.Humanek on Instagram. I'm also on uh, uh, BenHumanek.Tumblr.com if you're a Tumblr user. Uh, and then if you want to be my Facebook friend, I just need to know you first. Uh, right. And and uh, my website at um, BenHumanek.com. Sweet. And um, as always, you can find Forum Press Comics at, at Press Comics on Twitter, Forum Press Comics on Instagram and Facebook, ForumPressComics.com. Uh, go subscribe to our email list. Please leave a like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff to the podcast because that makes us look better on Spotify <laughs> and whatever app you use. Um, anyway, Ben, that's all I have for you. Thanks for coming on. Tyler, thanks so much, man. Thank you.